No doubt you look so fine. Whoa. Girl, I wanna make you mine. Yeah, come on. Just let me be with the woman that I love. The woman that I love. Welcome to episode 14 of Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald and my guest is singer Caitlin Van Beck. Caitlin talks about her early introduction to the entertainment industry in the form of musical theatre and also her time on The X Factor and what that experience was like. There are pressures of being on reality TV shows like The X Factor, Love Island and Geordie Shore that people don't think about. The stress of being catapulted into national fame overnight, having your every move scrutinised and criticised, people giving you hassle and shit on social media. We discuss how somebody will always have something to say about what you do, so you may as well just do whatever you feel like doing, instead of being too preoccupied with what people might think or what people might say, and how you're never going to please everybody. You're not for everybody. That's alright. We talk about Instagram and the false representation of reality that it often gives, which is fine, but it's important to be aware of that distinction between the highlight reel that Instagram is and the reality of everyday life. It ain't fucking real. You can listen to Caitlin's music on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube, and I recommend that you do. She's, she's a talented and brilliant singer, and more importantly, a fantastically lovely and funny person. Final thing that I want to mention is I partnered up with the team at Flick. They are the people who originally created the FanDuel app. I'm going to say it right now that I would not do bullshit PR of absolutely anything in exchange for money. And this is something that I'll be using in conjunction with the podcast. And I actually love it already. So I'll be talking about that a wee bit further down the line once I've got to grips with it. Uh, and the same goes with anything else I mention. I would not be punting anything for money. I can guarantee you. Uh, and thank you to the people at Flick because I'm recording this in their office in Edinburgh in the shadow of Edinburgh Castle it is magic and thanks to Mary uh, for bringing me in but before all that these chats and interviews come first so moan listen and enjoy Caitlin welcome Hi. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining me in my car. I, I wanted to kid on with her in the studio, you just gave away the gave away the magic. Um, <laughs> we'll get straight into it, so we'll talk about the X Factor and stuff, but take me back, how how did you get into singing? Um, I would say that I first started singing properly when I was about seven. Right. I did... Stuff at school, but then there was an advert in the paper for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang at the Playhouse, Edinburgh Playhouse, and I went for it, and then I got into that, and I did that, I run of that for four months, and that gave me my first kind of taste of 
showbiz and stage and singing and then from there I just kept kept singing really So was it something from then that you had an idea you wanted to always do or like how did it develop? I think before that I was still like I was singing loads before I did that like in the house self videotaping myself on the old camcorder as you do when you're like seven but I think from that getting that experience of going on stage in front of like thousands of people every single night and just getting that feeling of like success when the audience start clapping at the end and you feel like you've done such a good job I think when I felt that that's when I realised that I wanted to do that for a while and so first thing I want to ask then as well is did that take away an element of or did it remove the nerves or the pressure because you were in that from an early age or have you, do you still feel nerves when you're performing? I think more so now I feel nerves because when I was younger, I don't know, children just don't tend to feel nervous. I don't know what you were like when you were wee. Mm, well, I was going to say, like, so when you were seven, you were performing in front of thousands of people at the Edinburgh Playhouse uh-huh. and you were getting applauded. See, when I was seven, like, I would get praised for colouring within the lines by, like, not spilling my food down me. Um, so I mean, I got that as well. I got praise for that too. Yeah, but I mean, that was the extent of like my praise. I was like, oh, well done! Like you didn't make an arse of your <laughs> your colouring. So that's did you? So what? What then was after that finished? Mm-hmm. Like what? What sort of things did you do? Well, I was obviously still singing at school and stuff, and I think I just volunteered myself for a lot more because I felt like I was a lot more confident in myself. Mm. And then I think the next big thing after that that I did was Edinburgh's Got Talent when I was thirteen. So that would have been... Oh God, here's my mask coming into it, like, mm. <laughs> seven years after that. And that was at the Playhouse as well. Right. And I won that. So I won a £1,000. Nice. And I got to sing at the fourth one awards at the Usher Hall as part of my prize. Are you, you still do stuff with fourth one? Mm-hmm. Has, did that just carry on or did that come... We'll come to the X Factor later, but yeah. how did the fourth one stuff come about? Well, obviously, I did Edinburgh's Got Talent when I was younger, and I kind of had links to the fourth one gang. And then through X Factor, they obviously spoke about me on the show, they interviewed me, and then they were looking for a singer on their new track. And I listened to the show every morning, and I thought, why not just, like, phone up for a laugh and see what they say? So I phoned up, and then one thing led to another, and then ended up singing on the song. It got to number 16 in the UK. Really? Yeah. What was it called? I should know this, shouldn't I? But I didn't know this. Break Your Heart. It was on... Oh, wait, no. Aye, I've heard that. Aye, that was really good. Yeah. Um, We can share a link to that if anybody wants to hear it. Um, X Factor then, talk to me about that. I think X Factor is probably the most bizarre thing that I ever speak about because I still don't feel like it happened. Mm. Like, when you watch it and then you do it, they're two very different things. And I feel like now, even when I look at the videos now... I don't watch them a lot, but if I happen to like be forced into watching one of them, I still don't believe it's me. Or I do, but like I just don't mm. feel like it's happened. I feel like it's I don't know. So like what's obviously from the reality <coughs> of it from the reality of it and what people see in T V are very different in terms of production. Like talk us through, you know, from the very start how you audition and, and where you audition until it then becomes televised. So you basically it's quite it's such a long process because it starts so early in the year and then it's not on TV until later on in the year so you've got to keep it withheld for so long and I mean that's that was the biggest thing for me because I've got such a big mouth (laughs) 
and I was trying so hard not to tell anybody so at uni I took a week off uni to go to judges houses and everybody at uni was like oh I hope you're feeling better soon and I really just wanted to be like I'm in LA like <laughs> so you went to Simon Cowell's house yes I did so what sorry I was meant to be talking about the process and I just jumped from one end to the other so process first of all you know you, you do you have like do you apply in, in writing like how does it work so you kind of <laughs> <laughs> right I'm not going to I'll just leave that but um, we are in a car yes and um, there are cars going past looking at us being like what are those two weirdos doing in that car things didn't go to plan with where we are recording it but we're improvising it's called stoicism or stoicism I don't know how you say that look it up I should probably look it up I don't know how to fucking see it um, right John right. right start fucking hell right X Factor right. God. It? right okay so it's kind of different for me because I did Britain's Got Talent two years before that a lot of people don't know this and I got in front of the judges I was 17 it was my 17th birthday and I got yes from Simon Amanda Alicia and David met Ant and Dick all that got four yeses and then got cut from the show like I just didn't get shown cut throat in it showbiz and then following on from that I was contacted by one of the researchers via YouTube um, asking me if I wanted to do X Factor that same year so I'd literally just came off Britain's Got Talent in the January and was thrown right into X Factor in April so I did that and I ended up getting to the final 16 girls I had Rita Ora, she was my judge and I didn't get through to judges houses and I didn't even get shown on TV that year so that was good as well Did that knock your confidence? Because on one hand you must it's an achievement to get there but on the other hand if they just cut you it, it oh, must be I was be. gutted, I was absolutely gutted and I remember the whole way home from London I was crying, I was like I'm never going to sing again like, there's just no point because I'd done, I'd done but it's got talent and I went straight to that and I was like what is like what is it that I'm missing what am I not doing right and I kept questioning myself like what can I do better but then as well I think it pushed me to try harder so when the auditions came out for the next again year I applied via online links like you just apply and you put your application for a minute and then the producer contacted me I met them the week after sang like two lines of my song and they were like we'll be in touch and I didn't hear from them for a couple weeks and then I got a phone call out of the blue completely forgotten that I was waiting on a phone call to be fair and they just said would you come along and sing for the judges and then I just went from there really Mm. do you think because everybody sees the riches the fame and that that it can bring Mm. but do you think people are unaware of the pitfalls because that must be really tough to obviously to have those dreams your whole life and you know to almost be just sort of discarded as if well we don't need you for TV Mm. it's maybe not about your singing but maybe just at that moment you're not making the compelling TV they're looking for Mm. I think it's different because like the year I was on it Louisa Johnson won it I must have been living in Spain at this point so I've never heard of her in my life so now Louisa she's the same age as me but she's a really beautiful like and at the time I mean I've lost a lot of weight since I've done the show and stuff like that but at the time I think I was comparing myself to everybody yeah. in my category and all the girls were really slim really like sleek really tidy and I mean I was tidy obviously but like I wasn't I didn't feel like I was on their level like Outfit wise and weight wise, height wise, mm. skin wise, I'm really pale. Like I'm, you've seen how pale I am. I'm like white. But all these girls are like olive skinned and tanned, and I think you just compare yourself constantly, 
and then we're not getting through and all these girls getting through you're like is that what is missing is mm-hmm. it not because like is it disregarding the singing aspect and is it just looking at who looks good for the TV yeah um I mean, there's various criticisms, isn't there? Like the psycho productions and uh, you know, X Factor, and how much of it is actually based on singing? For example, fair play to the guy for taking his opportunity. But Rylan, for example, mm. not a very gifted singer, was he? But he got through because he made compelling television and maybe part image-wise as well. Um, I mean, how how as time has gone on, has the image insecurities, or for want of a better term, like have you managed to overcome them? Do you think, was that a good grounding or was it, you know, keen to hear about that? I think now I'm at a stage where I think life's too short to worry about all that and I think having that experience and being in the position I was, being on TV, being in the public eye, has made me realise that there's a lot more to life than being this slim, tall, olive-skinned model. Mm, it's not all about image, is it? Like, mm. And you are also an exceptional singer, which I think you have to be oh, given credit for. I'm genuinely a big fan. Um, and as good as these shows are for giving people a platform and an opportunity, they often do prioritise or seem to prioritise or place importance on less important things. Um, so, But the year you get through, so you get through to Georgie's Houses, what was that like? That must be quite... Um, I don't know, put you in the mindset of you're starting to make it or you're, you're part of the fold. I think when because I'd been a part of the show two years before and I knew how quickly things could come to an end I think I was just living in the moment rather than preempting what was going to come and what was going to happen after it like I just enjoyed the moment I didn't expect to get as far as I did and then when I was sitting on the plane I realised this is actually happening and then we arrived in LA and we drove to Malibu and we got to the house and I remember just seeing the house for the first time and standing there with all the camera crew around me and then Simon comes out and I thought this is actually surreal like happening because I'd watched it for so many years and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people growing up watched it and I mean I always said to mum and dad I'll be on that show one day you watch I'll do it I'll do it and I ended up on it but I think the most surreal part was standing there Simon just looking at us all and then he turns around and announces his guest judges and when two of the Spice Girls walked out, <laughs> my heart was literally in my mouth. Because I love the Spice Girls. So which two was it? I had Emma B and Mel B. That's quite cool. The, that's quite an interesting metaphor for life, though, what you say about living in the moment, don't try and preempt what's going to happen, mm. because... Yes. There's always... Sorry, it's kind of keeping in theme with the podcast. There's always <laughs> some sort of noise. Um... Aye, because if you had spent your time worrying about it or thinking in the future what might happen, then you're not enjoying yeah. what is essentially an opportunity to go to Malibu and mm-hmm. like hang about with the Spice Girls. Yeah. Do you... I probably know the answer to this because I know what that guy's like and stuff, but do you ever, did you ever have any contact with him after that, with Simon Kill? Funnily enough, I actually didn't, but I had contact with Louis Walsh after oh, really? it. I've got Louis' number, so... Come on FaceTime him. He texts me I think was it a week after the show two weeks after the show just saying they're just asking how I was and I thought that was so nice yeah it's kind because he was still on the show he was still working on the show but he still had time to like message mm-hmm. his content and I mean I wasn't even his contestant I wasn't even on his in his category so for him to message me like that I was just I was really grateful for that and then following up from that I met him a few weeks after in Glasgow I was at an event and he was there and we bumped into each other and then we were just chatting away and 
it's just nice that I've had that experience and the people, I think more importantly, the people I've met through that experience are the best thing to take away from it. So, for example, like on the first night I did the Extra Factor, I met Vicky Patterson, who's obviously been on Geordie Shore and now is doing all amazing things like that. And I still keep in contact with her. Like, she's a good friend. And obviously all the contestants that I made friends with who I still keep in contact with people from different TV shows that I now keep in contact with who I met through the show, I got invited to go and see the shows and then it's just, it's amazing how many doors things like that can open up for you and I don't think you really expect it Mm -hmm. you just, you're very narrow minded when you enter the show and when you see it on TV it's very different from when you experience it Mm. In terms of highly produced and that kind of thing? Or? I mean, I wouldn't say highly produced, but I think that there's like so many long hours that you're taking part filming. Yeah. So, for example, in LA, we were doing sometimes 10-hour filmings and you would only see, say, 20 minutes of it. Yeah. So in that respect, it was really demanding and really strenuous. But overall, I think... I mean, it didn't do me any harm. It, it, if anything, it benefited me in so many ways. But... It's an experience that I think if someone else was going to do it, I'd maybe say to them that they need to be emotionally and physically ready for it. Because yeah. it is a, it does take a lot out of you. think you're just going on singing and that's you. It's mm-hmm. completely not. You're doing so much more than just that. So in terms of that, Judges Houses was kind of end of the line at that point. Uh-huh. How did you feel at that stage? I mean, I was obviously gutted that I was getting sent home. And I was gutted that I wasn't going to get to experience the full whammy, like even one week of live shows. Yeah, the full shebang. Yeah, I think because everybody, when you enter that show, obviously you want you want to win it. There's no, like You don't go on it just wanting to get through the first round and that's <laughs> you. Like, you want to go all, all right. the way. So I think just to miss out on that final hurdle was gutting. But at the same time, when I left, I still had uni to come back to, I had my friends to come back to, I had my family to come back to, and I hadn't seen all of them in so long because I'd been away. Mm-hmm. So it was nice in that sense, and obviously I still kept in contact with everybody on the show, so it wasn't as if I was missing out really, because yeah. I was still speaking to all them, I was watching it every week, I was in London seeing them, like it's just... Did any of your pals get far in the, in the show? Well, Matt won it. So right, this is I know this is absurd, right? You don't know who any of these people are. No, right? because and I wasn't living in the country. Do you know that song? Was it Su- Suvi? Suvi Mela Radio. Yes. That one. Matt sang that like a duet with Enrique. That was a song. No one. way. It was. That's impressive. And he won it. And he won it. What's his surname? Terry. Terry. Mm-hmm. What was his song when it came out? Lee's winner's song. Oh, I don't know. When Christmas comes around. Nah, no idea. No, I don't mean that disrespectful. No. I just wasn't here. Um, so, I mean, I suppose with the earlier experiences that you had with Britain's Got Talent with X Factor, it uh-huh. must have prepared you a wee bit. So did you think, right, I'm going to use this to propel myself onto other projects? Or? Um, it did obviously give me a taste of what it was like. And moving forward, it set me up for ex- the experience I had on the X Factor. I think also getting a taste of those reality shows and not getting through the next stage fueled me a bit more to do better on X Factor so mm-hmm. I tried like put everything into it as you do with any experience but I think more so when you've had the knockbacks you just want to prove to yourself that you can do it mm-hmm. and how did it feel because you must have became relatively well known at the time because you're on TV how do you deal with that that can't be easy 
I think the scariest part was going into the studio in London, watching the show, doing the live thing afterwards, coming out and people outside knowing who you are yeah. instantly. And I remember coming home and stepping off the train and there was paparazzi there. And that's such a weird thing to say, like, there's paparazzi waiting on me getting off the train, but they, they were. They were, yeah. Like, I could see them in my cameras, but they are paparazzi. and that, they, were, mm. they were doing their job, they were getting pictures for the paper. And that was, like, so scary. Especially as well when I was making the trips to London myself and people on the train recognising you and you're, you've got to watch what you're saying, you've got to watch what you're doing, how you're moving, even your facial expressions. You've got to be careful of so, much th- so many things. Yeah. Because anybody could be watching you and so many people are so malicious in this yeah. industry and in this world that they could take anything and just change it to suit them and benefit yeah. them in some way. It puts me in mind, the pressures of it put me in mind of what the Love Island contestants go through. Because mm. I think people see that show as being glamorous and great and brilliant. But really there's actually a lot of stress, a lot of people watching you, criticising you, trying to trip you up, jealousy. You know, that that cannot be easy to be in that spotlight and essentially you're instantly propelled into it it's not like a a gradual thing mm. you know you're just thrown into it and now everybody's watching you I mean I don't envy the Love Island people Me at neither. all because Me I think they have it a lot worse than what contestants on the X Factor have it because mm. you're watching their every move 24-7 you're seeing what they do before they go to their bed how they act one tiny little word from them yeah could cause havoc Pound star, for them it? And it's just like I could say a word, any word, if I was in the privacy of my own friends and thingy during the show. But they're not; they're in the environment. None of those people are their friends. I yeah. was lucky that I had my friends to come back to, and I could contact my friends. But at the same time, they don't really know what's going on in there. But when they come out, I mean, I've known a few people to go on that show. And when they come out, it's just a different world for them. Yeah, that's the thing. You go in relatively unknown into a show like that. Excuse me. And you're probably not thinking about it, but you're catapulted to fame. You've got millions of followers. There must be thousands of column inches about you or newspaper inches about you, of which none of which you're aware of. And like you say, you could have one wee facial expression or a wrong word, and it's been totally magnified um, and pounced on. That that's not easy. But it didn't fully put you off, did it? I mean, you still started pursuing other things. Like what came once you left the X Factor? So many opportunities came when I left. Like I was doing charity event, charity events, and different performing opportunities, like Edinburgh Pride, and I was invited to Manchester Pride, London Pride, different things that I would never have had the opportunity to do had I not gone on the show. Mm-hmm. And it is really sad. I think now, looking back, how when I was trying to pursue myself in the music industry and I didn't have the X Factor platform, and I was trying to hammer all these different events, they weren't looking at me. But the minute the X Factor label was branded on me, mm-hmm. they would all turn to me and be like, would you be interested, would you be interested? Yeah. And that's really sad because there's so many young people now who are absolutely brilliant. Like, I know a few singers in Glasgow who are phenomenal. Let's let's talk about them. Who are they? There's a little girl I know called Holly Robinson. Right. And I think Holly must be about 16, 17. And honestly, her voice is ridiculous. Me and my mum listen to her all the time. Mm-hmm. We're obsessed with her. And I've known Holly for years. I've done singing on the circuit with her for ages. But she is a singer who I would sit happily and I'd, I'd watch her support, say, like Jessie G or Little Mix or someone like yeah. that. But because she's not got any branding behind her and no funding behind her and nobody financing her moves, she's not going to get those opportunities. Mm-hmm. 
Whereas someone who is in the limelight, who's had all this money pumped into them, is going to get all these opportunities, and they're not as good as her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there's a commercial aspect. Do you think they go hand in hand to the point that it does sort of inhibit young singers or, you know, up-and-coming artists? Because if they, if they don't have that branding, do you think... Is it just a necessity that a singer has that branding or something behind them, otherwise they're not going anywhere? And I know that that's not in every case, mm. but in many cases. I think it depends. It's, it is just your luck, though. And, I mean, a lot of people have said to me, oh, if you work hard and you do it, and, and, and I believe that if you do work hard and you do put in the effort, you can get somewhere, but at the same time, it's all about right time, right place. Yeah, I was just about to say that, being the right place. So... You've also been focusing on uni. Tell me about your, what you've been studying. So I'm studying primary teaching. I know, Lord help the children. <laughs> but I graduate in... What month are we in? We are in April. That's scary. Three months. I graduate in three months. So do you? will you automatically get a placement yes. off the back of that? So, so are we at a crossroads? Do you now need to decide what you're pursuing? Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, shit, I'm sorry to drop that. Have <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, dropped some mad crisis on you? <laughs> Gonna go home now. <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll, we'll come in, I'll be crying in my room. Um, I mean, I've not really thought that far ahead. I think singing, obviously, is a passion mine, something I want to do, but at the same time, I want to get my career under my belt and I need to do one year indefinitely before I can say that I'm a fully qualified teacher. So I think I might do the first placement year and then just see where I'm at and see what opportunities are there and then decide yeah. from there on out. Yeah, that's probably a sensible approach. Um, do you have any... You've got a few gigs coming up. Like, what kind of things have you got coming up soon? So I've actually... Oh, I, can't, I don't know if I can even say this. I have been offered to do several very big shows, but unfortunately I am attending the Pink concert in Glasgow. <laughs> Wait, hold on. On the now. day of these shows. Hold on now. Right, you're not allowed to say what shows. Tell me, obviously, off mic, but yeah. are you allowed to mention the shows? I mean, I don't know because I don't want to jeopardise it because I don't know if Pink will fall through and then I am on the lineup. Right, okay. You just help yourself to my polos, Sean, that's Thanks. fine. That's all right. Um, that one. Do you want one? They're mine! <laughs> I know, but I meant because <laughs> I was. me one of my own sweets. <laughs> I meant because I was holding it. Um. Right, the minutes so you've been offered something, but you're unsure because you're going to see Pink in concert. Well, I'm not unsure. I've said no because because you're going to see Pink in concert. Yeah, I got tickets for Christmas. I got a golden circle. What does I that mean? Is that in Glasgow? Yeah. Hydro. No, the Hamden. Yeah. Hamden Stadium. Um, right, so there's that. But I mean, what was the chat? You got a charity thing coming up that yeah. you're performing at next week. A week tomorrow, I'm doing the sick kids fundraiser, sports quiz dinner events, so there'll be all footballers and rugby players, sportsmen etc taking part in the quiz and then I'll be performing, having dinner and taking part in the quiz too but I won't do very well in the quiz My, pal, my pal's actually doing a charity night in Glasgow and he's, he's looking for a, a good singer to perform. Is he? So if you know any go ahead and let me know <laughs> <laughs> um, That was a fictitious charity event it doesn't exist, I just wanted to say that if anybody wants to hear your music, where would you direct them to? I mean, I'm a bit of a shambles with where my music is, to be honest. I need to do more YouTube covers. YouTube was where I've been, where I was for a lot of the time when I came off X Factor, and then I had. I think um, you should listen to 
you know what I'm going to say, my favourite, but what is the title of it on YouTube, the cover? I don't know. The Grease one. I don't know what the title is. Alright. Sean is obsessed with a song that I sang from Greece. Hold on, I'm not obsessed with it, I think it's you know really what, you good. You are, you send me it every week. I don't, but it's really good. Too, <laughs> so just to, I, I appreciate a good singer, what can I say? You covered Lewis Capaldi as well. I did, and I'm going to see Lewis Capaldi tomorrow. Well, it won't be tomorrow when the podcast comes out. But. Might be, it might be actually, I might try and get it out today. We're going to see him. What do you think about his rise to fame? I think that he's done really well actually. He's good, isn't he? Yeah. He is brilliant. He's very cleverly he's, marketed himself. He's really good. He, um, I think he, most of his, like, rise to fame and all the publicity he's getting is from his Instagram and how funny he genuinely is because mm-hmm. he is such a genuine boy and he's just hilarious. Like, everybody can. Yeah, I have actually. I did the fourth one awards this year. I opened it and he was one of the performers there. Oh, was he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see him. I think he seems like a, a very likable guy, which I think makes people want to support him yeah, even more. Because you see like a normality to him through his interactions and his mad, his mad Instagram videos. So one of the kind of other things which I wanted to ask about, which I've spoken to other people about, is the, and I'm choosing my words carefully here, the Scottish attitude where sometimes we don't want to do things that are maybe seen as creative or putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever have those those worries or concerns? Because I did with just a daft podcast. So actually going out there and singing must be... A, it must play in your mind a wee bit. No, I think at school, a lot of it was, like, singing wasn't really a thing to do when mm. I was younger. It was very much, like, football, hockey... Fighting. Well, like going out and drinking and everything like that, and I think that's just that's just common. Like that's what people do, and that's fair enough. But I think I got to a stage where I was like, no one is gonna love everything that you do, and there isn't one sole person in this world that everybody loves. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Like nobody in this world can positively say that everybody loves them because they don't. Me, I'm jo- I absolutely cannot. You've that. said that about four times today. No. Body in this world no, and you can, can positively say that. And do you know what? Like your life is for you living. If you want to do something, do it. If you're scared what other people think, do it anyway. Cause I, cause they're going to have something to say. Everybody, no matter, matter what, what you do. do. Oh my god, jinx! No yes. matter what you do, someone is going to have something to say about it. I've always said this. Like Aye. you could, you could do the nicest, kindest thing in the world. And someone would still have something to say about it. You could do nothing and somebody would go, that You're being lazy. Aye. uh, You're never going to be for everybody. So I think once you realise that and accept that, it kind of takes that burden of what will people think or will people judge. It is hard because, especially when you're young, because when I was at school, I was always worried about what other people would think and what other people would say. And I Mm -hmm. think that's just normal in any teenager. You're always worried about fitting into the crowd, about... That's a human thing because I still kind of, I still kind of think of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm now more at a stage where I think, well, fuck it. If people are going to say something anyway, I may as well do it. And I tell you another thing: there has never been a happy or a successful person in the history of the world who has left a snidey YouTube comment or has made a comment trying to pull somebody down. So I think people who do do that, they're by and large unhappy with themselves possibly not doing too much and that's their own dissatisfaction being projected on you obviously things like social media and that make it easier for people to make those comments but it is a small mind I think 
that makes those comments. I um, think social media is the devil. I think that without that growing up it was a lot easier for children but now with that playing in the background it's always about oh should I put this on Instagram if I put this on Instagram it means it's real Yeah. no it doesn't mean it's real and that's where a lot of relationships as well fall apart because you're projecting this false facade about what you think other people want to see and what you think Mm -hmm. is the right thing for other people to see nobody, even I can admit it like I've put pictures on Instagram and I feel like they do look like me but in a sense they look like me maybe for one minute out of the whole year mm-hmm. like I would it's a, a picture, yeah, it's, it's a just, highlights reel isn't it it's a highlights reel of like the best of what's happened which is fine but I think it's important to make that um, what do you, what's the word I'm looking for to, to differentiate you know to sort of highlight or to be aware of that difference that Within yourself and within others, like okay, it's a highlight reel. It's not particularly real life day to day. It is what it is. But obviously, on the flip side, you know, social media has got its benefits as well. You know, you make friends, you meet like-minded people. Um, you know, things are shared. You discover people. Obviously, for you promoting your music and yeah, stuff, it's it's, it's kind of essential. It's, it's kind of just getting the balance of that, isn't it? Like, I think it is getting the balance of it, and I think that when you learn how to use it properly you can be happy but I think until, like growing up like children, now I say children like most of the girls I know are 17, 18 that are using it and don't know how to use it properly yeah, and it's become an extension or like a continuation of real life where I think younger people especially find it difficult to the the lines are blurred between what's real and and what isn't because it permeates existence, it's everywhere you know, your phone pings and somebody can tweet you and I think, I don't know, maybe we've all got our own different methods, I I delete the apps every now and again, so that it's not I'm not instantly accessible, like I decide when I'm looking at that, I'm not having somebody wants to call me a prick on Twitter, like, okay, I will log in and decide when I see that, like, I'm not having you ping me to tell me, like, my phone like, ding, somebody thinks you're an arsehole (laughs) So, I, I think that's one thing. Um, anything coming up specific that you want anybody to know about? Not really, I'm just keeping myself to myself, and I think that's the best way to be. That is a very, a very good approach. Well, thank you very much for this short, well, thank you. sweet I'll podcast. Be- and now it's um, carpool karaoke time again, what are we singing? I don't know, nothing Spanish. ABBA. ABBA. Sueme la radio.
el pasado En cada madrugada No encuentro ningún modo De borrar nuestra historia A su salud bebiendo A su salud bebiendo 